You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we continue on our Oscar coverage for 2019. We're going through the Best Picture nominees for the 91st Academy Awards. We've gone through five of them. We're up to the sixth, and it's a film which is shit. Let's just be honest with you. Um, I'm just not even going to hold back. Uh, this is maybe a movie that is built for the Oscars, uh, but maybe I'm not built to review films that are from the Oscars then because I didn't watch all of this film. It's the first time I've ever come into an episode of the Oz Network and not actually done the one thing I was meant to do and watch the entire thing before starting because I couldn't do it. I couldn't stomach it. I just could not last throughout this entire movie. It's the favourite it's the name of the movie. Thank God it's not the actual favourite to win the best Oscar. Um, yeah, I don't really know even what to say anymore when it comes to this movie because, holy crap, this is maybe the most boring movie I've ever seen in my life. My name is Ben, and I like it when she puts her tongue in me. <laughs> and my name is Colin, and your cream bill is outrageous. Are you bathing in it to help your hemorrhoids? <laughs> So you read these lines on paper and it's like, oh, that sounds like it could be entertaining. I mean, there's a line here, you look like a badger. I mean, goodness, that could be entertaining. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, cool. But this movie, like, Jesus. Like, I sat through the Phantom Thread. I lasted (laughs) through the Phantom Thread. I would watch the Phantom Thread a hundred times a week if it meant I never had to watch it. I just... I couldn't do it. I tried every ounce and inch and strength in my body. And Mallory's watching this with me. She's every five minutes going, oh, God, how long has this got to go? How long has this got to go? <laughs> got to, like, the hour mark. And I, I swear to God, at that point, I'm thinking, like, oh, surely this has only got, like, ten minutes to go. Uh, I looked at the timestamp. I'm like, nah, can't do it. Nah, 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 I'm done. And this is the shortest movie we're covering this year. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, that's my impression. What was your impression of the favourite, Colin? Um, well, I, it's a, I'm trying to figure it out still. Uh, I didn't hate it. Uh, it's not the worst movie I've seen. It's not going to rank on the bottom of my list here. Um, but it was okay. Like, there's a, I will say this. I probably would have had a very similar impression to you. Like, it's an unusual movie, and there are things that are funny about it, but I found myself frustrated. Maybe this is because we even talked about this with Green Book, about all this controversy that Green Book's getting because, oh, they didn't stay true to the the true story because of this, this, and this. And meanwhile, Green Book, to me, seems like the most accurate um, true story, true uh, true adaptation of this year, because here's another movie that's based on a true story, and as I keep reading up on the true story, I'm like, everything in this movie happened except no lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire premise of this movie is all the women are sleeping with each other to get what they want. Um, I, I kept wondering to myself, I'm like, would this have been a more interesting movie if it was just sort of a political movie? And I'm thinking, maybe... I will say that when you get closer to the end, especially in the last half hour, things start to click and you start to understand why they made some of the decisions they did make and how this movie's made. But so, I mean, I'm not going to say I hated this movie. I will say this was the one, as I mentioned, Jamie was, this is the one she wanted to watch. She didn't hate it. She didn't love it either. (laughs) Jamie. (laughs) 
<laughs> baby brain. She's like, yeah, it seems interesting. It's all right. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. It's interesting. It's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> can I say the lesbian thing is the one thing that should make me want to watch this movie? Um, and like, I, I watched it. This is probably the only one I watched the trailer for out of the ones that I hadn't seen. Because I'm kind of like, oh, what is this movie? Like, is it, what is it about? I don't even know anything about this. It's got Emma Stone, Rachel Wise, like, cool. They're in, like, the old days. Um, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> the whole lesbian thing, like, didn't even know that was going to happen. And then when it happened, I'm like, oh, oh, this is getting interesting. All right, cool. I was going to stick with it. But then, like, it just, it wasn't even good lesbian stuff. Like, Blue is the warmest room or whatever that was is good lesbian stuff. Like, this is just, I don't know what it is. <laughs> like, it's just odd. And, like, I, I like I like Emma Stone. I like Rachel Weisz. I like these the main actors in this movie. I don't really know much about Olivia Colman, but she seems all right. But, like, outside of that, like, what is this movie? Like, ugh. Have you ever seen Amadeus? No. I was meant to watch it in music in, like, high school, but I think I was away that day or something. You would think that Amadeus would be this kind of dry, boring movie, like a biopic about Mozart or whatever. It's really about Mozart and his relationship with another composer and kind of their feud and rivalry. This movie reminded me so much of Amadeus, except without a lot of the fun. Like, Amadeus played like this like some type of you know victorian drama but it it had like this weird quirky sense of humor and kind of this this sick manipulative side to all the characters and it was fun this i think it's a well there's a couple problems with the movie one i feel like there's a lack of development with emma stone's character which again when you get to the end of the movie it starts to make a little bit more sense but throughout the movie I'm just sort of left wondering why she's going to such lengths to, you know, get this power over the queen and all that. Like, whereas with Rachel Weisz's character, it makes sense. I mean, she's she's like a real politician. She's trying to influence the queen for the better of the country, but yet she's presented as a villain at times. And then Emma Stone's presented like a hero, but yet she has no motives for being manipulated and trying to destroy other people. And then at other times, I'm like, I wish this movie would just go all out and be... Uh, be more be more vice like let's be honest this movie is vice with lesbians in dresses um and it kind of made me wonder i'm like would this movie have been better if it just played the politics straight or would vice have been better if dick cheney and george bush were banging i can't figure out which one got it right which one got it wrong the the hidden gay storyline between dick cheney and george w bush can't wait for that to finally be told in a way, I feel like, because the real story is kind of how this movie happened. It was these two women who were, I guess, servants to the queen. Both were, I guess, related. And then they developed this feud trying to get control over it. The, the one turned the queen against the other one. It was just this huge you know, mess up. The queen herself was very much the way she's presented here. But they were not lesbians. <laughs> they were not sleeping with the queen to get what they wanted. And... I just I felt like that was tacked on to get this movie more attention and it does feel like that in ways although the way that the ending presented I get maybe why the director chose that as a way to illustrate this feud but still I'm sort of left wondering I'm like would this movie have played better just playing it straight well I'm just reading here the straight. sorry 
I, that. I didn't mean it like I, that. I see what you're trying to do there. <laughs> I, I, I do see here, though, uh, the director of this film, Yorgos Lanthimos, am I saying that correctly, mm. uh, came out and said, some of the things in the film are accurate and a lot aren't. Now, if that's your quote about something that's meant to be, you know, based on something that happened in history. Now, can, can we imagine if... You know, this was said, Brian Singer came out and said that, you know, oh, yeah, some of the stuff that happened, it didn't, it didn't. Like, just so blasé about it. Like, I feel like a director should be trying to defend it a little bit, um, more so yeah. than just being like, oh, yeah, I made a heap of this shit up. Like, I mean, it's just, that's such an odd way to come out and try and, you know, sell your film. And particularly, I think the thing with this one, like the whole lesbian storyline, I think that, like, you kind of put it in a good point when you say, this would have been Vice if George W. Bush and Dick Cheney... I mean, imagine if in Vice they had have gone out of their way to show a gay affair between George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. People would have been like, this never <laughs> happened. What are you doing? Like, the fact that this film is, like, what, 300 years ago, essentially? Like, is that... You can get away with it now, essentially? Like, it's just... Yeah. It's such an odd thing to do. Like, let's go back to Titanic and have Kate Winslet and Kathy Bates banging in the car in the, the hull of the ship instead. Like, you know, Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio and Billy Zane having a massive orgy with, well, you know... Know, Victor Garber and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, if you're going to be changing history to it's, that it's extent, good... yeah, like it, it's it's still a valid point. And and again, I think the main reason that I'm really thinking about this is because we're coming off of Green Book 24 hours ago, where Green Book's getting the most criticism for changing the real events, and the only criticism really getting is from the family of Doctor whatever Mahershal Ali's character. Um, his family saying, oh, it didn't really show his connection to his family. So they're basically saying we weren't part of this movie, so we're upset. Uh, otherwise, everything about that movie, pretty accurate to how it happened. And your comparison of, you know, 300 years ago makes me think about a movie like Shakespeare in Love. Mm. That's a movie that's using real characters, but a completely fictional story. Now, if they had made the story that in Shakespeare in Love, Joseph Fiennes is having sex with Jeffrey Rush <laughs> instead of... Oh. Gwyneth Paltrow. Say that. Um, <laughs> is that considered? Because it, it almost feels like there is no controversy for this movie, and part of that does have to come with you, you got to sit through to the end. Because I, I, I'll only say that the way that the final scene in particular plays out, it's a very long scene. Not a lot's happening in it, but you sort of have that moment where you're like, ah, I get why they did it like this in a way for modern audiences to really understand you know, the, the the reasons these characters manipulate each other and all that. But but still, it's like there are so many other movies that if they had decided, let's add this on here, and we're not even talking about, oh, that's controversial. How could you have George W. Bush and Dick Cheney <laughs> having a gay love affair? It's not even that. It's just, is it necessary in telling your story to build a story that's basically just about political manipulations and people trying to get power is it necessary to include that aspect to sell the characters better, the story? Like, it's just, it really has me scratching my head if it really made any sense. Yeah, it's just, it's odd. And you, I mean, is it down to modern day? Like, I mean, we, we've we gone over this a few of the last movies we've talked about. I mean, like, you cannot really have a movie now without it having some sort of, you know, connection or some sort of message about some form of topic that's you know topical at the time yeah something top yeah so it's 
And it's just odd. Like, I mean, the Phantom Thread didn't have to do this a year ago. Like, I mean, and here I am defending the Phantom Thread, and we hated that last year. Like, I mean, what was the the commentary in The Shape of Water that, hey, it's okay if you want to bang a fish. Like, it's fine. Like, the bestiality (laughs) defense movie last year. But at the same time, like, I I think even throughout the movie, the reason I wasn't, even though I was really questioning, I don't know why this was done in this movie. And I did feel like it was done to get attention. Like, this is what it ultimately comes down to. You know, Phantom Thread had Daniel Day-Lewis saying it may be my last performance ever. It was P.T. Anderson, who every time he's teamed up with Daniel Day-Lewis has been Oscars, Oscars, Oscars. This is a period costume drama about a queen and a few servants of hers, starring a bunch of actors who have had many movies that just went straight to Netflix that were period dramas. Um, There's no reason this movie would have ever gotten the attention it got unless they had done something to make it stand out from other period dramas. So again, if that's the reason why, I get it. But if you're just watching this for a straight story, you want to be caught up in a story, at times it sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, like you know, because they don't spend that much time on it. Like, it sort of comes and goes, and they'll go for 20 minutes where it's all just, we need to get uh, the queen to sign off on doubling the taxation. <laughs> it becomes like all this uh, uh, legislation and then it has nothing to do with it. And then all of a sudden, you'll cut to a scene of, you know, Olivia Coleman fondly Emma Stone's breasts. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's part of the movie. <laughs> it's just, it's unusual. I did want to quickly say, like, um, you mentioned you weren't familiar with Olivia Coleman. I guess she's most famous for a TV show called Broadchurch. Does she do it? You know who David Tennant yes, is, right? Yes, yes, former Doctor Who, right? Yeah. So after Doctor Who, he did a TV show called Broadchurch with her. And uh, it had like three seasons. And you know, I'm like a huge David Tennant fan, huge Doctor Who fan. I watched that show for him. And I walked away from the first season thinking, wow, she she puts David Tennant to shame. And everything I've seen her in, it's it's very similar. Like, you'll spend half the movie thinking, what a bland, forgettable actress. And then by the end of the movie, by sometimes doing nothing at all, it's just like, wow, she just steals the whole movie. It is weird for me, though, like because I'm not a fan of Emma Stone at all. Um, I probably would have avoided this movie just for her being in it. Um, but you take these three lead actresses. Olivia Coleman's the one who got the Best Actress nomination. She's the least known actress out of these three. And she probably has less. It really is more of a supporting role. So how this gets divided up, I don't understand. And I guess all the more credit to her where you have these two very successful actresses with a lot of name power and in a smaller role, you can step out as the lead actress and probably right up there with Glenn Close is being considered like neck and neck for best actress award this year. And from pretty much an unknown. The one that I'm just quickly looking here at Olivia Coleman's filmography, which I really feel we should uh, go back and do a recap on uh, Pudsey, the dog, the movie uh, where she did the voice of Nellie, the horse, so um, I'm sure that was... A- she also stuck her tongue in certain spots of Pugsley <laughs> the dog, which was controversial at the time. <laughs> Again, that was meant to be the first movie to defend bestiality. It didn't work very well until The Shape of Water came about. And I was like, oh, it's okay to have sex with animals. Let's keep on going. Um, and you mentioned legislation, movies about legislation. I realise it's been a few days and we've failed miserably on our um, goal for this year, so I feel like we need to say it about three times oh. this episode. Uh, legislation reminds me, of course, of the Star oh. Wars prequels, which always makes me think of its course, it's rough and irritating and gets everywhere. Similar thing that I believe Emma Stone said about being with the Queen at one point, but they cut that scene out. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> need- I mean, it's also like having rabbits run all over your bedroom. They're coarse and rough and irritating, and they get everywhere. Yes, exactly. And looking like badgers. It's coarse, it's rough and irritating and gets <laughs> everywhere. Um, and they said rape at one point in this movie. It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating and gets everywhere. I'm just, That's about four times I think we've clarified all the ones that we missed out on so far. And <laughs> what about Nicholas... Nicholas- Anything else weird about Nicholas Holt's gigantic curly wig? It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating, it gets everywhere. <laughs> and Jorgis Lennon's the moss. He's coarse and rough and irritating, and he gets everywhere. <laughs> and Emma Stone's tongue? It's coarse, it's rough, it's irritating, it gets everywhere. Um, it's funny actually watching this movie, you mentioned you're not being a fan of Emma Stone. Like Personally, I don't mind Emma Stone. Like I like her better when she's in... Like, she, she kind of just all of a sudden, what, did La La Land all of a sudden? Oh, she's so good, she should be nominated for Oscars. Everything I've seen her in, it's kind of, she doesn't scream out somebody who should be nominated for an Oscar. It's kind of like, I really like Sandra Bullock, and I think Sandra Bullock's a good actress. But when she got nominated and won an Oscar, I'm like, out of all the people who should win an Oscar, Sandra Bullock, probably not in my top ten. Mm-hmm. I like you, Sandra Bullock, I'm glad you won an Oscar, but at the same time... Do you really deserve to win an Oscar? <laughs> it's like Emma Stone, mm. to me, is kind of fits into that category. Um, and Rachel Weisz, like, you know, love Rachel Weisz. She's great. Um, she, what, won an Oscar about 10 years ago, didn't she? So, um, and yes, it is odd that they both kind of got the supporting actress noms. I, I'm with you there. But this got 10 nominations. It's equal uh, with Roma as getting the most uh, but I believe this got the most acting nods, didn't it, out of all the the ones, the main ones, because it got three. Poor Nicholas Holt's wig didn't get anything. Like, I was a bit sad for him in that <laughs> one. But uh, outside of that, best picture, best director for Yorgos, uh, best actress, two in the best supporting actress for both Emma Stone and Rachel, uh, best original screenplay. Well, it's obviously not adapted because, again, they made it original, even though it's based on historical events. Best production design, best cinematography, best costume design, best film editing, and oh, I was about to say best visual effects, but no, that's not true. Um, surely the only one that can win has got to be costume design, right? Like, no, did we not go over that with... Um, well... What are we talking about that one the other day? <laughs> yeah, well, it, costume, it's made for you know, winning best costume design. Uh, what were the other, like, did it have art direction or? Uh, cinematography, production design, costume design, film editing, yeah. not art direction. No. I would say those three, you know, production design, um, cinematography, and although I think it's not going to win cinematography, but like those technical categories, uh, this is the type of movie that cleans up in those. And when I heard, like, when the nominations came out, before I even see what's nominated for what, it just says 10 nominations for the favorite, I immediately assumed, well, it's the acting nominations and the technicals. Um, little did I know it was getting screenplay and picture director. There, I don't think this has any shot of winning um, the, the major awards, even though it's nominated for this many. Uh, if you look at, like, the competition, this is the only really big if you want to call it that big historical drama and those movies always clean up in the nominations usually the movie nominated for this much that's kind of a dead giveaway as to what's going to sweep the awards but i don't see this you know doing much i i do find it weird like the reviews for this are so like it's universally loved compared to so many other movies we're covering because again i i would find this movie even if you remove the whole confusion of should this have been included and should it not have been included there are times in this movie where it feels kind of dry and just on the humor part of it it's a it's similar to Amadeus like I said but it's almost like 
Black Adder in a way. If Black Adder only had no. a joke like every fifteen minutes, <laughs> Black Adder's no, good. I'm just saying, like, well, no, but but like in terms of like this period historical comedy, because this really is a comedy, I guess. But like the jokes are funny and they catch you off guard sometimes. Like you said, you read through the lines, and every once in a while you're like, "Well, that was really kind of quirky and funny." But those scenes are so few and far between that I find this hard to consider both a drama or a comedy. And I probably would have found myself finding it more funny if the jokes were more consistent and not let's go 15 minutes on legislation and then throw this one really bizarre line in there about hemorrhoids. <laughs> because a movie needs a joke about hemorrhoids following a joke about rape. Because <laughs> they're coarse and they're rough and they're irritating <laughs> and they get it. everywhere. They really are, actually. They really are. Um, according to <laughs> goldderby.com, it is favourite to win uh, production design over Black Panther and costume design over Black Panther. So, um, yeah, and in terms of the best picture, it is fourth favourite. So it's a bit of a, you know, bad title to give itself, the favourite, uh, when it's only fourth favourite. Um, so behind Black Klansman and just ahead of A Star Is Born, uh, which is interesting to think when A Star Is Born came out, everyone was like, this is guaranteed to win all the Oscars. Um, we'll talk about that in a couple of days, of course. Um, I really don't care to talk much more about this film, Colin. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of like the movie itself. I've gotten to a point now where I just don't give a shit anymore. Um, I think I'm in about a month or so time. I'm going to talk about how the Emoji Movie is the worst movie that we've ever covered on the Oz Network. Um, we recorded that before we ever recorded this, so it's going to sound a bit weird in context when you hear that movie next month. But I'm going to say it right now: this is the worst movie we've ever covered on the Oz Network. It's a bin. It's beyond the bin. It's below the coarse and rough and irritating and gets everywhere sand. It's just <laughs> nah. Bin and a half dot com dot au forward slash shit. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna rent oh! it. <laughs> oh, what's wrong with you? Because I feel like it was interesting enough to hold my attention, and I didn't wait walk away from this feeling angry like I did with Bohemian Rhapsody or Vice. Uh, I'm I'm not sure where this is gonna because, in all honesty, I appreciated some things about this movie, and I really feel like if you had had it in you to stick it out to the end, the last half hour it's not like the movie gets infinitely more interesting but in the last half hour things just start to make sense and like the motivations of the characters are there and it, it gets a little bit more focus on this rivalry that i found interesting there's an interesting movie in here it's just i feel like this is overrated if anything i'm just looking at again ratings here the movies that you've binned and then you've rented this above it like what the hell you binned <laughs> Killfield 2 and you rented the favorite <laughs> Shame on you. Well, I'm sorry. Ben, ben Waterworth is no Yorgos whatever his name is. <laughs> um, tomorrow is Roma. Uh, and I'll be honest, it's a movie that I thought was going to be following on a similar path to The Favourite, but I actually stuck through this one. Um, and, you know, it's long overdue, as we've often said over the last few days, that we've uh, covered black and white Mexican cinema. So finally we're here. Um, and look, this is The Favourite, I guess, to win it all. And... You know, look, I'll be honest with you. This isn't a movie I would generally go out of my way to watch. But I think at the end of the day, I kind of came out of it glad that I stuck through to the end. And I think that, again, while it's not going to be a movie that I'm ever going to probably watch again, I can appreciate it for what it is and see why it's gotten so much attention. Um, Yeah, I found this movie to be really interesting. And... and- it's another one, not quite like the favorite, but in a very different way, I'm still trying to process what my opinion is on this movie. 
because it's just it's different and there there are so many things about this movie you think i don't know why that works but it does kind of Mm. and then there's other things where it's like i i really shouldn't like this and maybe i don't but then there's something interesting (laughs) like it's 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 an unusual movie and I, i kind of you know teased yesterday like this is from the director of gravity and it's the follow-up to gravity i mean um it's more similar to like uh, a movie he made like before he even got an english language movies but uh, this being the favorite i mean we kind of joked about last year you know the uh cries of oscars so white when in all honesty uh we're about to have our fifth uh, my guess is fifth out of the last i don't know eight years where best director goes to a mexican director <laughs> best picture goes to a mexican directed film and this was long going on long before the Oscars so white thing. So I, it, it's it, it's kind of just I guess that's the big boom, like the like the how the Beatles took over, you know, and, and the the British music scene took over in the '60s. We're like in the age where people are going to look back on the say it was the Mexican era of Hollywood, um, and we get to actually talk about a Mexican movie, a full Mexican movie, which is going to be interesting. But uh, yeah, th- this is this is going to be an interesting one to talk about because again, I don't know where either of our opinions are going to land on it. And I think also, too, what makes it even more fascinating is that uh, it's a Netflix film, essentially. <laughs> we have a, mm. a Netflix movie that might just win Best uh, best Picture at the Oscars, so crazy to think that. That's Roma tomorrow. We'll make sure that we turn ourselves black and white and it'll be subtitled tomorrow, so uh, enjoy our Spanish or something. Uh, is this the first <laughs> time we've ever done a movie not in English? Maybe. Hmm. That and the um, Emoji movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Santa's sleigh <laughs> uh, in the original Norwegian or whatever True. that was in. <laughs> I thought you were just about to say, um, you know, any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie we've done is not really in English. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what that was, more Sylvester Stallone. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe. We've got more Oscar films to come. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Ben and I don't have a quote because I gave up halfway through. And my name is Colin, and I also got this possession through lesbian sex. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.